You know, I, uh, I describe myself uh, as a charismatic reformed person. And um, if you don't know what the charismatic is, you just experienced it. If you don't know what the reformed is, you're about to experience it. Uh, today we're preaching on suffering. So <laughs> we, uh, and man, that song just wrecked me. Uh, and I just feel like what, a, what an amazing segue to go into what we're about to preach on because God literally has given his all. He, you know, he hasn't left back certain pieces. He doesn't manipulate us. He doesn't try to squirm his way around certain promises and certain things. Uh, he has given us everything. He has been transparent with us. He has been our father. He has been our Lord, our leader. And, you know, there, there, is, there are topics that people don't like to talk about, and this is one of them. And, and I love talking about topics that we don't like to talk about. Um, a lot of people are like, why are you preaching on all these different topics? Uh, you know, we're like six weeks or seven weeks into our weekly services. We've uh, just talked about a lot of, a, a range of things that, you know, when you go to church planning school, these are things to avoid in your first couple of months. Uh, definitely suffering would be one of them. Um, but we've been going through the book of Acts, the beginning of Acts. What we wanted to do was look at the early church. What did the early church look like? Because this group of people, of men and women, they literally changed the landscape of the world, of culture, for thousands of years after them. And it started with Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and then his ascension, which is where we started this series in Acts 1. But when he ascended, he wasn't leaving us, but when his ascension happened, what happened was the Holy Spirit descended onto us and if you read the Old Testament, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit was for a select few of kings, of priests, of prophets. But now the Holy Spirit was coming on all men and women. And so it started an incredible moment in history. And how the early church responded to that moment, how they responded to the good news of Jesus Christ, what he had done, like the, those few weeks after that, that's what we're talking about. What has set the tone that has created this movement that has been going for thousands of years that within the first 300 years converted the emperor of the Roman Empire that has now become the largest worldwide religion. How did that begin? And that's what we've been talking about. And... We've talked about some awe-inspiring things, about people speaking in languages that they've never learned before, about a lame man walking for the first time in his life, about the, the first message ever preached where 3,000 people come to know Christ after Peter preaches, about people selling their homes and their possessions because now that there were thousands of people that we're starting the church as we know it. They had needs, and this movement needed a financial base. And so what happened? People responded to that. And all these responses, all these amazing things that we see are all because of this thing called the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, what he has done. And because of what he has done, it completely changes what we do. 
And so we're going to start in uh, chapter 5 today, verse 12, where we left off from last week. Acts chapter 5, verse 12, and you can read along with me on the screen. And we're just going to continue kind of this amazing roller coaster that is going on. Starting in verse 12, it says this. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So that even they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats. That as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, that they were all healed. So this amazement, what God is doing, just kind of continues. We, we see these incredible things happening, and, and this is the, the charismatic side of me, that this, what we see happen in Scripture today, I don't believe that we don't have to see that happen in our lives. Right? I, I've seen people walk for the first time in their life before. I've seen people healed of incredible, incredible things. And what we read here is not something that we read as a story, but it's history recorded by Luke of events that transpired in the early church so that other people who had heard about Christianity can learn about these events through eyewitnesses that Luke gathers. Where it wasn't one person, two people, there were multiple sources that he went to to find out that these, th these things that we're reading about today there were eyewitnesses that Luke went and documented as a historian so that we today, just like the people that he was writing to back then, could know about the amazing things that God can do and will do. And so the, the setting here is they're in Solomon's portico, which is a prominent place in the outer courts of the temple. Right? It, it, it could fit thousands of people. It was a very large place that they were gathering. And so... The apostles were going there every day, and they were doing their thing. They were seeing, they were preaching, they were seeing people healed, they were seeing people delivered. And there was just, there was this awe. There were some people that were coming, there were some people that were staying back, like, you know, I don't know if I want to be in with that crowd. I'm not sure if, if I want to be associated with them. And then there were others that were in need, that were, no matter what it takes, they came from the surrounding towns, they were going to be there. God's hand was at work. So much so that this is amazing, that people were laying sick people in the path of the apostles, so just that their shadow would touch them on the way. We talked about last week about giving, and there was this, when Peter and John were walking by the lame, lame man, they said, hey, we don't have silver and gold, but what we do have, we're going to give you stand up and walk. And we talked about how that has kind of been a reversal in the church. That St. Thomas Aquinas once told the Pope, yeah, we can say that we have gold and silver, but we can no longer say stand up and walk. Right? The, the Acts of the Apostles, or really what some theologians like to call the book of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because it wasn't then. And it's so easy to say, wow, these men are amazing. These men and what they do, and we put them on a pedestal, and we say, I will never be like that person. 
But if we realize that it's not these people, that it's actually God that is doing these things, that it's, it's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that comes upon me and upon you, and we realize that, hey, I don't need to do some voodoo magic for somebody to walk, but really all I need to do is allow God to work. Then what happens is that that takes what we're reading here out of the realm of impossible and into the realm of possible. And the transition from impossible to possible is really the realization of this is not me doing it, but it is God. Right? And, and, and so it has caused me to pray for people that I would not pray for because if, if, if nothing happens, it's not a bad reflection on me. I pray for people and nothing happened. I pray for people and things have happened. But I just know that we're called to pray. And so that's what the apostles are doing. They are following what Jesus has told them. And it all seems great. Right? Everything's going well. And then let's read on. In verse 17... And we're going to read a large portion of scripture. I know you're not used to reading the Bible when you go to church, but it's okay. <laughs> we're going to start in 17. So stay with me. I'm not even going to tell you where we're going to end. Because you're just going to zone out right now. It says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with them. That is the party of the Sadducees. And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in a public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have the apostles brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We have found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, as anyone should be, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you have put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. See, worldly systems and authority are always threatened by the gospel and its preaching. Right, we see the immediate reaction of the high priest and the Sadducees is jealousy. 
See, the Sadducees had multiple layers of emotion. They were the sect of the Israel priesthood who didn't believe in any type of afterlife. So the fact that not only were they preaching uh, the resurrection, but they were winning the influence of the people, this caused jealousy among them because it was a twofold hurt. Right there, there were a sect of, of priests called the Pharisees, and they did believe in the afterlife. And then there were the Sadducees. And so these, they were especially angry because they were not only ruining their way of life, but they were also in, influencing and winning the influence of people and all of Jerusalem and the towns around them. There is a, an offense in the gospel that directly speaks to power when it is misabused. Because when we look at Jesus who has full power and full authority, yet enters into the most marginalized of places and brings this message, this good news to people who shouldn't be teaching or having. The, the apostles were uneducated men. They were people that shouldn't have class, that shouldn't have status, that shouldn't have influence. And Jesus said things like the first shall be last and the last shall be first. What that does is it disrupts the power and the systematic authorities of this world. That when they look at their power and they look at their status, they find their idol in it. They find their comfort. They find their control. They find their status. They, they find their power in it. And then the apostles come in and they start preaching this message about a man who is God. Who died. Who gave up his authority. Who gave up his place of power. Who gave up his place of status. So that he can live among the people who they deemed unworthy. And this, this to them is frightening. This to them is scary. And it causes a reaction. And see, that the gospel when preached in its purity will cause reaction. It will cause something in people to have a natural offense. And a lot of times, the more up you go, the more natural offense there is. Because when, when we strive for and we attain things in life, th this is, you know, especially for our culture, this is the American dream, right? We want that title. We want that more. And here is an example someone who gave that away and said that is worthless. And so what happens when you offend people in power? They use their power to stop your offense. And you know what I love about this narrative that we read just right here is it breaks the false understanding that when God is behind us, our lives will be perfect. We have, we have 
unfortunately given ourselves to this, this understanding of the gospel that when we, when we accept Jesus into our, into our lives, everything will go great. Now, there, there's, two, there's two layers here. There's two things to understand. When we accept God into our life, what we are promised is joy and peace. But on the other hand, we are not promised comfort. We are not promised happiness. We are not promised perfection. And we've taken this, uh, this promise of joy and peace and we have translated it into this practicalness of you will have everything go great for you. And we've given into this false gospel, this false narrative that the moment that we say these words, Jesus, I believe that you have died and I accept you into my heart, that after that moment, everything is supposed to go right in our life. And what that does is when things begin to go wrong, when we go home and we tell our friends and our family, hey, I became a Christian and they look at us weird. They, they ridicule us and they say, how do you believe in that garbage? And we think like, this is not what I was expecting. We start to get alienated from our friendship. We start to get excommunicated from our family. We start to get you know, weird looks at our job and, and from people that were friends and hung out with us, but now we're not so much anymore. And, and we, we've fed this lie to enough people in enough places. So now that is the narrative that people believe. And the moment that there's a bump, the moment that there's something to struggle with in their faith, something to struggle with in what they believe, they run away. But what I love about what, about Christ and the things that he said is he prepared the apostles for this moment. He knew the things that were going to happen to them when they started preaching this message of his life and what he's done. He knew that it was going to upset people. He knew that when, they, when he said, you are giving your life, when I said, follow me, that you are leaving everything behind, he knew that that meant everything. That meant their comfort. A lot of times it meant their friendships and their family. And so he said this to them in Luke 12. It said, I, he, Jesus says this, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him whom, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. And later on, he says, and when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, literally, he's prophesying over what is happening right now. Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. See, Jesus knew that suffering was in it for them, that when they followed him, when they gave themselves over to this good news, this, this message of that we call the gospel, he knew that suffering was in their future. He did not say when you go and you preach the word, guess what? People are going to be throwing roses at you to your stage. He didn't say they're going to come up and they're going to kiss you on the cheek and bow at your feet. And He said you're going to have to defend yourself. You're going to be accused. You're going to stand before authorities. You're going to stand in the synagogues. And yeah, I know you're not learned. I know you didn't go to the schools that those priests went to. But I will give you the words. See, we disqualify ourselves so much 
because of our status, our social standing, our economic life. But yet Jesus qualifies the ones who the world disqualifies. And this can be taken out of context like, oh, you know, God hates people of status and power, and it's not true, right? He got Paul. We're going to talk about Paul. Paul was the epitome of status and education. See, the thing is, God uses people. He uses you no matter where you are in life. What the gospel does is it breaks down every barrier. Every place where people have said, you do not belong here, God has said, you belong with me. So God, Jesus gave this warning to the apostles, and this is kind of my warning to you. Things may look like they're falling apart when you start living for Christ. But you know what Jesus promised the apostles? He promised he would be among you. He promised he would be with us. See, that's the joy and the peace part. When things are not going well, when you have people to fear in your life, when you need to give a defense, guess what? I'm in your midst. And why did, you know, you may think like, oh, what happened so far is not bad, right? They, they got brought to jail. They were out of jail, an angel came and took them out of jail, and then they're preaching again, and then they get brought back to the high priest, and here they are. Not, not so bad, Justin, right? If this is the suffering that we have to deal with, okay, I'm cool with that. I, I can go to jail for a night, and an angel come and break me out. I'm cool with that, right? So let's, let's read on. I told you we were going to read. In verse 33, right, Peter just finished basically offending them more with the gospel. He told them, you guys are the ones who put Jesus on that tree, our Savior and our leader. But yet you, there, there is a place for repentance and there's a place for forgiveness for you. And here's the response. In verse 33 it says, And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee, I want you to note the difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said this to them, men of Israel, take care that you are what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, I never get this guy's name right and I practice it, I promise. Thutis rose up, that, that was it. I went on one of those like pronunciation YouTube videos. Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. And he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in those days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fall. It will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they let 
left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I'm going to read verse 41 again. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy. What are we saying? You are worthy of it all. To suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Paul says this in Philippians 3.10, that I may know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering. In my charismatic only days, I only knew the first half of that verse, that I may know you and the power of your resurrection. There's something after that? Who's And the fellowship of your suffering. God, I want to take part of you. I want my life to reflect you. I want everything that I am. I want to be close to you. And if closeness means that I get to experience some, just a bit of the suffering that you experience. Paul's saying, count me in. The, the apostles here, Peter, he's saying, count me in. And I will rejoice at the moment that I am beaten. Because Christ, you were beaten. When you were beaten in these times, it was usually around 40 or 39 lashes. I don't know if you remember, like, getting spanked as a kid. It's like a very light one lash. It's like lash one light. You know, like this is on another level. And I will rejoice. See, Christ suffered on our behalf. And, and this is the word, the apostles counted it joyful to get a small taste of what he experienced. See, maybe it's a rearranging of the word joy that we need as Christians. Of what is joy, what, where does it come from, and what does it look like in my life. That I can be in a situation that I, I, I would say that I do not deserve to be here. All the apostles were doing was doing exactly what God told them to do. Exactly as Jesus commanded. And they could have said, you know what, forget this. Why am I going to do something that you told me, God of heaven and earth? Why am I in this situation? Why aren't you striking these dudes down with lightning and killing them for touching your chosen servants? But yet joy rose up. See, when... When the scripture says he gives peace that surpasses understanding, it means it doesn't make sense to have peace right now. See, following Christ may have deeper implications than we thought. It may mean losing a friendship. It may mean having to break off relationships. It may mean being shunned by our own people. 
It may mean an awakening of a conscience for the first time in our life. Jesus' words ring true in these moments. Do not fear those that can kill them. Because after, let's think about that logically for a moment. What is the worst that can happen in our life? What is the absolute worst? Is it that I become broke? No, because I already feel like I'd be broke by now. Is it that I lose my job? No. Although it can feel in that moment, if we've lost a job, that this is, we cannot get lower than this. Is it that I'm hated by the people that I thought loved me? Even though that is painful and that's hurtful and it leaves scars in our life, is that the worst thing that can happen? And the answer is no. The worst that someone can possibly bring us to is to kill us. But that worst possible thing, Jesus says, do not fear death. And do not fear the ones that can inflict it on you. Why? Why do we not fear those things? Because they can take our life, but they cannot take our faith. See, no one can rob from us. The relationship that we have with God. We can be in situations that bring us to the lowest moments that we may have been in our life. The apostles at this point, you would say they had everything going for them. They were preaching to the crowds. They, their shadow was healing people. You cannot get to a higher high than that moment. The, 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 the exhilaration that they must have been feeling. The adrenaline rush that it must have been. But when they stood before the priest and the priest threatened to kill them and then beat them, it was most likely a very harsh beating. In their mind, they remembered the words of Jesus that you can kill me. But you cannot rob from me what God has given to me. See, Jesus has conquered death. So therefore, he has power over it. See, when, when we go to the place after death, there is only one person that rules supreme. And though someone may be able to bring us there, we feel like we are there at moments in our life. We can rest assured. That no one can steal the joy and the peace that God offers and promises. That in the moment of the very worst that we can have in life, I can stand and know God, if this is your persecution. your name, that I can participate with you in your suffering. Because 
there is a difference between the message of Jesus and the message of others. Gamaliel notes this. And what's interesting is Gamaliel is the guy who trained Paul. He notes this. Death broke Plutus. And death broke Judas. See, death is the ultimate test. And it broke these other two movements. These guys proclaimed that they were, gonna, they were the saviors. They were the Messiah. They were the ones that Israel was waiting for. And so Gamaliel gets up and he says, look, these guys fell to nothing. So guess what? This Jesus that we're talking about, that we're afraid to, we're afraid of. They believe that he died. They said, He's going to come to nothing. But what they did not know is that even though death had broken these false saviors, death could not break the real one. Because Jesus broke that power. And this is why after all that happened to the apostles, they did not lose faith. They did not give up. They did not wave the white flag. They did not say, forget about it. I don't want any of this, Jesus. When, when we said we were going to follow you, we were expecting roses at the stage. We were expected to be led into the emperor's house. We were expecting Herod to welcome us with open arms. No, what they did after they were threatened with death, after, if they continued to preach the name, they said, we cannot obey you. We have to obey God. And they went from house to house preaching the gospel and telling of all the things that Jesus did, even in the synagogues. See, a faith that can stand up in the midst of persecution and in the midst of suffering and say, even in this moment, I have joy. Even in this moment, I have peace because I know that the one who can kill the body, that is all that they can do. But you, God, you are the one that reigns even over death. And I will follow you even if it means I'm following to my own grave. Man, I'm telling you, I don't know how I would have reacted if I were the apostles in that moment. It would have been easy for me to say, forget about this, I give up. It's not worth my comfort, it's not worth my health, it's not worth being ridiculed, it's not worth being falsely accused. I'd rather just go back to having my job and living my life and raising my family. That is a false narrative of what it means to follow Jesus. Last week, we talked about giving up all, meaning resources. This week, we learn about the new aspect of that all, which is giving up our comfort. Repenting and believing in Jesus will cause degrees of suffering in our life. Our reaction to the pain of following Christ will be a measure of our understanding of his pain for us. The disciples knew the pain that Jesus had taken for them. And when they were beaten, they said, this is nothing compared to the pain that he has taken for us. The measure of our understanding of what Jesus has done for us 
will be the measure of the joy we experience in moments of suffering, in moments of persecution, and moments of discomfort. Know in those moments the giver of joy and the giver of peace is standing in your midst. And he is lavishly pouring out his grace upon you. That when I think of my faith, I think of the worst moments of my life, and I think about how God was standing there saying, Justin, it will be okay. I think of the moments when I thought there is nothing in the world that will make this better in my life. And I remember the comfort of Christ. I remember the comforter himself, the Holy Spirit, who came during those moments and said, here is my peace. Here is my joy. It does not make sense now. Even though your world is collapsing, you are joyful. Even though your world is collapsing, be at peace, for I am here. And I think about this world and how I'm going to experience times of suffering. But only Christ can give me meaning to my pain. I want to pose this question. Are we willing to give up our comfort? And if the answer is no, the question then becomes... Where have we been putting our faith? And when we begin to ask those questions of ourselves, we begin to see where, what kind of gospel do we give our lives to? What kind of, what kind of faith do I have in my heart? Is it something that's built on the rock, the strong foundation, or is it something that as soon as the first storm that comes, that my house is on the sand? And this is, this is not something where you wake up one day and it's like, I'm ready for this. It's something that God does daily in my life. That God, am I willing to give up my comfort today? Father, am I willing to stand in those situations? Am I willing to lose this? Because it is just a drop for the things that you have suffered. I'm sorry if you come to church to uh, feel really good about yourself at the end. But I hope the truth of this message, actually I know that God will provide the grace to receive it. That when we look at the person that we are putting our faith in, it's not some ethereal thing, but it's the God of the universe that's saying, I will be with you. Why don't we pray? I'm going to invite you to stand.
We're going to have some leaders over here by the side, down here. And we're going to be willing to pray for you today if you want prayer for anything. If you're saying, you know what, I have, I'm looking at my life and I've seen in times of hardship I've run away before. I don't want to run away again when it comes. Or I've prioritized my comfort over living with Christ. Or maybe you just need prayer for something. We will be here to pray with you. But during worship, I want us to kind of let that question saturate in our minds. Father, when I sing that song and I say you're worthy of it all, do I really mean it all? Am I willing to give up my comfort and I, am I willing to give up my things for you? And that's a tough question to ask. It's a question that when Jesus posed to the crowds, Many of them turned away and went home. It's a hard thing to hear. But I thank God that the one that we serve is the one that conquered the only thing that can threaten us. Father, we worship you this morning. We praise you. Holy Spirit, we just ask that you come. Teach us what joy and peace is to have in you. That in the midst of pain, that in the midst of suffering, that in the midst of persecution, that you will be there with us. That we do not have to go through the hardships of life alone, but we have someone who is closer than a friend that will be there to stand by our side, to cover us, to walk with us. And Lord, I thank you that you took on the ultimate pain unto even death. And that as Paul said, we can join you and fellowship with you in that suffering. Father, I pray that we would know not only the power that the disciples walked in, but we would also know the suffering that they walked in as well. Let us worship.